Hey guys, it's your guest host Calvin again for another episode of Catching Up with Cub. Today we caught up with Martin Deneen, who is the founder of MJD Recruitment, who specialize in executive recruitment. Martin has an inspiring story. At one point, he spiraled into a dark web of addiction and he shares with us the lessons he learned in overcoming immense adversity. We also spoke about finding and keeping A players, cultivating a great culture and how being passionate about your profession enables you to stand out from your competition. This was an extremely meaningful conversation that I feel we can all learn a lot from. Enjoy the show. All right, Martin, how are you doing? Good, Calvin. Good to be with you. Great to have you. Um, yeah, I think we've known each other for, for quite a while now. You've obviously been a member of the club for, for a couple of years. We've worked with you. I think I know you probably on more of a deeper level than, than most. We've done a couple kind of courses together and yeah. we've had a lot of conversations over the year about your business and, and whatnot. And I'm really looking forward to getting into, you know, the business and, and how you've created what you've come to create. But reading your prep sheet, there were a couple of things that I wanted to kind of start off with. I read a book once upon a time called Relentless by a guy named Tim Grover. And Tim was Michael Jordan, Kobe, Dwayne Wade. He was all of their kind of personal coach. And in that book, he spoke of, there was a chapter in that book called The Dark Side. Mm -hmm. And what that chapter kind of entailed was he felt that anybody who got to the level of success that these guys eventually got to had to have a dark side as well. <laughs> what does that mean to you? It's probably... Um probably hits the nail on the head for for probably how I've ended up being here today. Um, I mean, to go back to when I um, first started the business. So people used to tell me when I was growing up that if I fell out a window, I'd fall upwards <laughs> because I always landed on my feet. Things went pretty well for me. Um, but at a point in running the business, and, and I can get into kind of how it led into that, but I fell into a pretty deep addiction and um, and I almost lost the business. Um, and, and when I was in that and trying to get out of it, but really unable to get out of it for a multitude of different reasons, um, I used to always be jealous of the person who I was before I went into it, not realizing the, what, what I actually needed to do was realized that that person had led me into where I got to. And actually, I needed to wipe the slate clean, start life all over again, so that I could not have the behaviors that led me to that and to start moving on with life with a blank, blank canvas. Having had that dark part of life, um, it's given me a gratitude for life that I never knew was possible. Do you know? Um, moving um moving past that point like i am um, i've got this phrase that i use all the time anytime something shitty happens in life whether it's in the business or in my personal life i go have i overcome something bigger than this in the last five years and the answer is always yes because um life went to a level probably that there wasn't too many more basements after it i think a lot of people can probably resonate with that kind of thing in that you know when you do overcome something so big your, your mind, I think, almost calluses itself to the point where anything that comes after that, it's just not as hard as, as, what you, as what you dealt with in the past. I can resonate with that myself. Are you, would you say you're grateful for 
having gone through that, is that experience something that you're thankful for as, as hard as it was? It's interesting you say that. So when, when I first um, got clean, um, one of the things that I said was um, if I was going, I wanted to get life to a point where I was grateful for my addiction, you know, and now I'm at a point where I'm grateful every day, not just every day for what happened because it was a pretty terrible place and it's pretty, I wouldn't wish it upon anyone, but having gone through it, um, I, um, I'm grateful every day, you know, and it's for the most simple things for the peace of mind that I have, the, um, ability to interact with the world, like all of that simple stuff. I didn't have any of it. You know, I used to look at people just going around about their normal lives, wondering, will that ever be me again? You know, and, um, and that will always be my reference point. And so you've, you've spoken, you know, a bit about, actually going through this experience and, and this dark time in your life, how did you actually go about overcoming this? How did you get into recovery and what did that look like? Uh, sure. So I think um, I mentioned that, that I did rehab. Um, and when I came out, you know, it, it was something I needed to realize that I needed to leave the past behind completely and to build completely new behaviors and approaches to life. Um, I got into a 12-step program and um, and being in that, um, it meant, first of all, consistency. Uh, because as you can imagine, when how I treated Fridays in the past needed to be different, how I treated Saturday, like how I treated everything. In, and I was 35 or 36 when I got sober. So I had 36 years to um, change. And I had only been in rehab for a couple of months. Um, so when I came out, I was really grateful that there was this thing in front of me that I could lean into at the very start. And um, you know, have you read Atomic Habits? I haven't. No. Um, so um, I read that recently and it was, um, it actually like, it probably told me a lot of the things I did without realizing it. So the great thing about um, coming out, or sorry, the great thing about going into 12-step program was it was already made community for me there that I was able to join. And, um, and, Sometimes the recovery stuff can be quite serious because, let's be honest, you scrunch your life up like a piece of paper and you throw it in a corner and, um, and you impact a lot of people around you. Um, but there was something about going to that room and those rooms of recovery where everyone was in the same boat. So there was a bit of banter and there was a bit of piss taking about how effed up your life was and how effed up the other person's life was. And you just had that sense of community that everyone was giving it a good go to get through to get through this thing and to be able to put it behind them. But um, I've kept that pretty consistent. And you know, I went from leaning on um, the twelve step program a lot for my own recovery to now being able to help other people in their journey. Um, and that keeps it really consistent for me. You know, when I'm um, I'm sponsoring at people now and when you see somebody initially come in and they are where you were four or five years ago it's a really um it, it, it's really 
good for you. It's not good that they're in that situation, but it's good for you to be reminded of what's on offer out there. And through that, it just gave me, you know, that was probably one of the first things that I was seriously consistent with in life in general. Um, I was always somebody who go to the gym like crazy for three months and then drop it off. Or um, um, eat well for a certain length and then drop it off. But I knew that I needed to be consistent with that because literally my life depended on it. Um, so, but over time, by being consistent with that, I was just able to implement other things. And because I had a lot more space, because I was fresh every day, um, I started putting things into my day, like getting up earlier, going to the beach in the morning, going for a run in the morning. And just all of these, like in that book I mentioned, um, all those little 1% completely added up. Um, and they added up to this like life that I went, okay, I don't want to give this up for anything. You know, so all, And then what becomes really undesirable is where I was a few years earlier. Yeah, it's, a, it's amazing how, you know, if you think about it, the, the compounding effect, it's the same on the negative and on the positive side, you know, as deep and as dark as you can go and how much that compounds, the same thing can be true on the positive side. Absolutely. And I've got real life evidence for that. Do you know, I've got people who I saw on the other side of the fence who didn't get clean and not all of them are with us still, do you know. Mm. And how long have you now been sober for? Uh, nearly five years. Well, congratulations. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's not not an easy thing to overcome. And, and you know, whenever you talk to people who have been through these kind of things and, and they do eventually overcome them, that they are the strongest people around, I think. And at, at that point in time, where were you at in your business? So I, um, I started the business in 2014, towards the end of 2014. And, um, and probably the first couple of years, like if I was awake, I was working. Um, but I was just a recruiter, you know, I was just a guy who wanted to give it a go himself. And I probably, like some of the things that led me into that were I didn't have the maturity that I needed to be running a business. I was good at filling jobs. Um, and then the business started to grow. I had somebody to, there started to be somebody to do everything. And all of a sudden, I, um, I'd reached this point where the money was coming in. As I say, there was somebody to do everything. And I dropped the ball, you know. And at that point, you know, leading up to that, if I was awake, I was working. So um, I was tired. Money was coming in. I was less accountable because there was somebody doing everything. At the same time, I got into a pretty terrible relationship. Like all of those things um, were like the perfect storm. And um, and that was probably about two and a bit years into the business. Um, and I was always a work hard, play hard kind of person, right? So, But I never missed a Monday. But then I started to miss a Monday. I started to miss a Tuesday. And all of a sudden, my weekends were getting longer. My weeks were getting shorter to the point where I'd been somebody who was completely present and excited about the business to somebody who was just not present whatsoever. You know, so you can't expect a business to thrive in that kind of situation. And the business, um, thank God, built it in pretty strong foundations. But it, but then I went from being absent to completely absent. You know, and then I went away and I was out of the business for probably six months um, through kind of rehab and, and getting myself back on track. And then I came back into it part time. I was really fortunate that I did it at the time I did. Like when I um, when I. When I got clean, there was um, 
there was a certain kind of surrender, I think, that came over me that I went, um, it's just time to, like, do what I need to do, stop running on the things that have got me as far as where I am and call out for help and start doing what the people who are willing to help me tell me to do. Um, if I hadn't done that then, the business was in pretty bad shape when I came back in. Um, and this was, you know, there was poor management, There were, but um, the team was in a mess. People were unhappy. Um, and I called Tanya, who... God bless her. She's been with me since, um, since pretty much since I opened. She's based in Melbourne, and um, I called her, and I was like, "The place in pretty bad shape, isn't it?" <laughs> she was like, "You think?" <laughs> <laughs> um, I was running out of money at that stage, and um, and just when you know, I did a bit of a um, a reset. I kind of started all over again. I had two people, uh, Tanya and Jen, who've. Um, who've both been with me since the start, they remained in the business. So that was in February 2019. And just as um, I came back into the business, we started running out of money because I'd been flushing money down the toilet. I wasn't all over what was happening in the business. But by the look of God, just as I started to come back in and started to make an impact into the business again, it just started to turn around, literally by a matter of a few weeks. Um, I'm all, that's another thing that I'm now grateful for. Like the outcome of that could have been really, really different. And when I came back, I wasn't sure if I, um, if this business was for me anymore, you know, or if I still loved recruitment, you know, because I hadn't been in it. I hadn't been feeling it. And the way I wanted to take life forward, I didn't know if um, it was going to be a part of that. Um, but a couple of months into it, uh, having come back part-time, first of all, and worked my way back up to full-time, I was working a role. We got the role placed, and I remember fist-pumping. I was like, oh, yeah, there's the love. <laughs> I still got it. <laughs> it's that love of sales, I think, that gets you going again. Yeah. Um, do you think during that period of time, the people around you, your team, the people that you were working with day-to-day, do you think they could identify that there was something going on in your life that was not allowing you to steer the ship or were you internalizing the whole thing during that period? <laughs> I'd like to think that I was internalizing it, but it was really obvious, do you know? Um, like, again, I was probably, um, I was probably a victim of my own commitment to it before I, w- before things went down um, that direction. And because I had been, all over it all the time. I was in the office five days, first one in the office. Um, I've got this thing called the Catholic guilt. So I would be in the office before everyone, out last in the evening. Um, to go from that to not present at all, it was really, really obvious. You know? And I think there was probably a lot of rumors went around, but the true story was probably worse than any of the rumors. And so now you've mentioned, obviously you've been sober for five years. So I'm assuming it's been around that time that you've been growing the business in a, in a more proficient and effective way. Where, where are you at now? Explain the, the, the business in its current form. Sure. So there's, we've got a team of about 23 uh, across Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane. Um, we're specialising in the business support sector, so anything from team assistant to EAs. Um, and, um, and we've just opened a HR division. So we, when it when I started growing the business again, um, a couple of years later, we went into COVID. And then when we came out of COVID, there was, um, there was only four of us and we've built it up again since then. 
but I built it up completely differently. So it used to always, and I think this was some of the weight that I felt before, you know, being a solo o- owner and bringing in, um, being responsible really for the amount of work that we brought in and trickling that down to the team. It always had a cap on what I could do with it. And I think I wore a lot of that. I tried to be everything to everyone. Um, and when I kind of, what I would call this is 2.0, um, I said, right, I'm not wearing all of it anymore. Um, I'm going to put trust in the people who I'm, are running this business with me and let them do their jobs and me focus on what I know I'm good at. And because of that, it's... Um, the landscape's been completely different. I wouldn't have been able to go to to where we are now or to the future plans we have for the business without giving up some of that um, control that I had. Um, in fact, Mark Denoy was the first one that um, that helped with that um, and your recommendation um, to implement that EOS system. And when I did that, I saw, wow, I can be left with the, with the role that I would actually apply for. You know, a role that uh, goes off my skill set and that I know that I can add value to the business and then focus everyone else on what they're good at. And it um, it multiplies so well. It's like one plus one equals three. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting kind of um, topic, I suppose, th- th- this, this, this topic of the business owner getting to a place of having delegated parts of their business that they are not so strong at, obviously managing and focusing on the area where they are strong. I think where that where that kind of becomes interesting, you know, I can speak from kind of my experience when I took over as, as club head, I was always a sales guy. Mm. I'd now been tasked to, to run this business. And I, you know, I hired people, I brought in a, you know, a, a team of kind of five, six people, you were a part of that and, and, and we'll, we'll get into that. Um, but I think what I realized very quickly was because I kind of transitioned into, you know, that leadership role through being a salesperson, I actually didn't understand any of the other areas of the business. Mm. And so I thought at that time, okay, you know, I'm going to focus on what I'm good at. I'm going to, I'm going to sell and I'm going to sell well. And I knew I could sell well and I always did sell well. But firstly, I couldn't lead because I didn't understand the areas that other people in the team were doing. And so if they had problems, they weren't coming to me. The leader is not the person that just gets designated the leader. The leader is the person that everybody comes to when they have issues. And so I, I learned pretty quickly, you know, through a conversation that I had with, with, with Dan, where he kind of sat me down and he said to me, you know, you're, you're not where you think you are. You, you think yeah. you're doing fantastic, but you're actually not because... You do, you're excelling in one area of the business, but the rest of the, the, the business, you've got no visibility over because you don't understand it. And so I then had to go onto a journey where I dug into every area of the business to the point where I understood it as well or better than anybody yep. else in the team. Then you work your way up and then you can delegate because you now understand it all. And so I think it's really important that whilst, you know, what you kind of touched on is an essential, is an essential part for a business owner to get to, it is important as well for people to understand that you need to understand every area of your business before you can do that. W- would you agree with that? Yeah, uh, 100%. So um, it doesn't bring me joy to go over our um, 
forecasting and our uh, spreadsheets around the P&L and all of those things. But if I wasn't all over it, um, I wouldn't be able to sleep at night. <laughs> Do you know? Um, so at the very start, I was probably involved in a lot of those parts of the business. Um, and I need to know what makes it tick. And I need to understand when the accountant calls me about what's going on with what, that I get it um, and that I can see where I need to make a decision and make any impact on it. But it doesn't need to be part of my day-to-day anymore. No, I can once I have people in the business who I trust well enough to be all over it and that I have an overall view of what's happening in there so that I can still jump to the same conclusion as what I would if I was working on it myself based on the information that's given to me. 100%. And so how how, how did you get to that point? I suppose, you, you know, you spoke about EOS structure, delegation. How have you set the business up so that you can focus on the things that you want to focus on? I think having a really strong management team. Um, first of all, Tanya, who I mentioned, who was my first hire, she is superb at all of the things that I am terrible at. Um, she's also really good at the things that I'm good at. So sometimes it makes me worry about whether I should be there or not. <laughs> um, but um, anything organizational, HR, that kind of stuff is... Um, her kettle of fish. Again, I can jump into it if I need to, but it's not where I thrive. And it's not where, um, you know, I can jump into something like that for a week. If I'm doing it five weeks later, like I start dropping the ball because it's not where I want to be and it's not what I'm really good at. But um, but having Tanya in that role and her taking care of all of that function, coupled with if I was driving sales, recruitment, client relationships, business growth, and the environment. Um, if we were able to couple both of those together, then we could stream down from there to make sure that we're hiring the right skill sets with the right values for the right roles. And which side of our skill set did we need a management team of at the next layer? And um, having that in place um, with the right people in those roles, that's equipped me to do this. Now, don't get me wrong, there'll be times where I jump it back into all of those roles. Um, like I don't do a huge amount of recruitment anymore, but over the last couple of months, I've done more than I've done probably in the last couple of years for different reasons in the business. I feel as the business matures more, that will come less and less, but I think it's a cliche, but a bit of a journey to get to that level. Um, and I think um, once you do get there, to um, to still be open-minded that you have to be all over every part of the business. And so, you know, you, you've mentioned Tanya a couple of times. I'm assuming there's a few others that are that are A players in your business. And, and you know, we know without A players, you, you can't, you know, as you say, go on that journey and progress and start to step out and manage and, 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 and all that kind of stuff. How do you go about A, identifying those A players and then B, more, more importantly, keeping those A players as part of your team? Because when I speak to business owners, a lot of the time, that's the thing that they struggle with the most is that like you, they've been all over everything. They've now identified somebody who's, who's quality and an A player and thinks that they can pass on some responsibility to that person, but they struggle with A, handing off business, like, you know, parts and elements of the business to that person, B, percent, potentially equity or, or profit share, those sorts of things. People struggle to hand that stuff off. And as a result of that, they don't keep the, the A players. So how do you go about identifying and keeping those people? 
Um, I think sometimes with not giving stuff away is pretty, um, you're thinking about this month and next month rather than thinking about five years and 10 years. Um, and I've always tried to think about big picture and where I want to be with the business. But I'll tell you about what I probably used to do versus what I do now. So we used to have pretty high turnover. And I think that was based on, I used to go to the other agencies and to go, okay, that person's been there for two years. That person's been there for two years. Let's grab all the people with two years experience, bring them in here and see what we can do with them. Because then I'll have the ultimate agency. Um, Generally, what I ended up with was a lot of other people's bad habits. Mm -hmm. And people who rested (laughs) on their laurels of when they used to, do you know that we used to be great here and we used to build this amount? Um, It just... Um, bad habits and egos is what we had quite a lot of. COVID was probably, um, it might be a bit controversial to say, but a bit of a blessing for us. Um, so in that time, um, you know, recruitment was dead. So we were fortunate enough. We had a decent amount of contractors out. We cut down our outgoings as much as we possibly could and then just rolled the wave. But I wanted to make sure that when we came out of COVID, that we had the business was in set up in a better way than what it was going in. So that involved doing a whole lot of work in our back office. So Jen and Michael, um, who uh, sourced through that time, they sorted out all of our database. Um, we Tanya and I put into place some. Um, a bit of a plan on how we wanted the business to look like on the other side of it, including the types of people who we wanted to hire. So, A, if when you're getting people from other agencies, there's limitations to the amount of people that you'll be able to get. Um, so that will cap your growth. And um, and B, all the reasons that I had said already. Um, so I wanted us to have a training system in place for potential recruiters that competed with any of the big agencies out there and that people will come in and have a, a clear career line, whether it's me or whether it's the most junior person in the business, the whole way so that they could see their own one, three, five-year plan in the business. And then to recruit on um, values and sk- values and the style of person um, rather than necessarily the recruitment background the value one thing that we were um dead set on is and it's a really difficult thing to do these days is we had to see longevity in a previous role with anyone who came into the business because i want to be able to see that somebody will have a shit day and wake up the next day and still come into Mm -hmm. work um and um and then recruiting uh, as I say, I'm valued, but across industries, quite often one's a compliment. Um, so we've got uh, one of our managers comes from property. Um, Tara, who you know, uh, comes from um, a um, travel background. She was at Flight Center for a number of years, but leading big teams in all of those areas. What you actually end up with, with a bit of a more open mind there, um, is a really diverse skill set of opinions and thoughts other than just having recruitment same as the mentors that i now look for it's um i used to have somebody from more of a recruitment background i am now looking at somebody who you recommended to uh from a completely different background you know, because you get different opinions i've i've got recruit i've got recruitment but i understand a lot about recruitment and there's a lot of recruitment in the business where can we be getting other ideas what value add can we do what worked for a team elsewhere and you get some really good ideas out of that. Um, 
but having that career line for people has been um, really valuable in making sure that we have longevity in people who stay with us and, um, and, and things like equity and all of those types of things. Um, I always want the career, clear career line to be there for them and also that people have, it's more valuable for them to stay in my business than it is for them to go elsewhere. Yeah, and I think that's a really good way to look at it because at the end of the day, you know, particularly as your team's growing, each person, regardless of whether, the, you know, they're an A player, they're not going to necessarily want the same thing, you know. So one A player might want the equity, another A player might want, you know, a, a certain title and, and, and so on and so forth. So mm-hmm. I think from what I'm hearing, you have pretty clear communication as to what that kind of looks like from it from a, from the onset yeah. and then you kind of map towards that and you always have to make sure as well that you're not going off your own bias Do you know like i used to always think that everyone's motivations were the same as my motivations mm-hmm. so my motivations were always financial uh, when I was a recruiter, when I was on a desk myself building a portfolio. But some people prefer job recognition or to know that the next job title with some extra responsibilities is 12 months away if they hit these KPIs. Having a bit of a more open mind and getting down to what that looks like for that individual Um rather than going, okay, I know I'd like an extra five grand, give them an extra five grand. And I don't know if you know that whole love language thing, Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. but there's like the business language version of it as well, um, which was a little bit of an eye-opener. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. Um, There's a lot more that I want to get into in terms of kind of the way that you're operating the business and, and your leadership style as well. But take me back to the beginning. How, how did you actually get into recruitment? Obviously, you're, you're, you're from another country. Yeah, take us back to the early days. Um, so I always probably had a little bit of a um, sales spin to how I operated life. Um, like I always joke that I made a, a forecast for my first Holy Communion. I wrote down all the neighbors and how much I expected from them. And then how much I actually got, <laughs> what the difference was. <laughs> or even like working in local pub growing up, I figured out that if I brought drinks down to people rather than them come up to the bar for them, I'd like get a couple of dollars here and there for it. Um, so I always thought of, like, I wanted to do a job where what I put into the job, I could determine what my outcome would be. Um, so started recruitment in London. Um, a lot of my friends did a recruitment before I did, and I used to deal with recruitment agencies in a, in an IT business. Um, don't ask me anything about IT. I can't even turn on a computer. <laughs> turn it off and turn it back on. That works. Um, but dealing with recruiters for that length of time and having a couple of friends in recruitment, they were like, you need to do it. Um, and I interviewed at a few places at that time and I went to a legal recruiter. With, but I started with them in um, January 2008, so just as the world was falling apart. Um, now, in hindsight, uh, I know that that was probably the best training that I ever had. My training was, here's a computer, uh, here is a phone book and dial nine for an outside line. But all of that rejection um, grew my resilience a lot. And I just thought that that was how the world worked. You know, so I didn't know any different. There was a lot of people in that business who had had a great year the year before and the year before. And um, when they went into that quieter market, they freaked out. 
you know, they and they had their life had started to cost a lot more. I was used to being poor, so mm. <laughs> so it was fine. Um, so I was in London for about two and a half years of my recruitment career, and then I moved. Um, I moved to Sydney with that business. I didn't end up staying with them, but. When I was going to leave that business, there was there was a lot of other options on the table. Um, so I could have gone to the big uh, uh, agencies. Something just didn't excite me about being in a conveyor belt of filling jobs. And I came across an agency that was just starting. And I think I always knew that I wanted to do something myself at some point. And this is a perfect opportunity. So I started something um, with somebody from the ground up. Um, she... Uh, see every part of that business and get full exposure to it. And um, I was with that business for four years until uh, I built a big portfolio in that business. It was probably, um, it was our biggest portfolio in the business. Then I moved from that role into, um, into a GM role. And all of a sudden, it just it wasn't the right fit for me anymore. Like I was probably delivering somebody else's message that I didn't necessarily believe, and um, and that's when I realized it was time for me to do it myself. It timed quite well with getting my permanent residency, and um, and it was I interviewed at a few different places that time, and nowhere excited me. Like I um, and I was having a drink with a friend one night when I did drink, <laughs> who said to me. Um, maybe it's time for you to uh, stop complaining about every agency in Sydney and do it yourself. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, let's give it a go. And, um, and yeah, that's when we started. So you, you strike me, I think as quite, quite similar to myself as that kind of that, that, that sales driven leader. We did a, a kind of, um, fireside chat here the other night with a, you know, it was a sales panel and there's a debate that I often have with, with salespeople and, and sales d- driven leaders in particular, um, that I always find quite interesting and I'd love to get your take on it. Do you believe that you were born a great salesperson <laughs> or do you believe that you were taught to be a great salesperson? So I think, um, I'm stronger at relationships than I am say necessarily sales like the hard sell um but i think some of those skills i've struggled over the years to teach to certain types of people so i think there's an element of sales and it might be across other skill sets also where you have to have something in you that makes it do it do makes you do it for you you know so mm-hmm. Anyone who comes into a sales role and fills, okay, I did these KPIs, few my manager will be off my back tomorrow. That person, I do not think, will be in a sales role in three years' time. Do you know? No chance. Somebody who comes in and says, okay, that apartment that I saw on realestate.com, that is going to be mine. Uh, let's work back from that and how can I put a deposit on that in uh, 12 or 24 months? that person will end up with that apartment, you know? Um, and I think they're the drivers, whether those things are inherently in somebody or not, I don't know, but they're the behaviors that I look to uh, see in somebody who is going to be a long sender. Mm, yeah, no, you're hundred percent right. And that, that's one of the things that I think I love most about sales is in essence, you're, you're in control of your own destiny, you know? You're, and you're there anyway. Exactly so just- right. <laughs> exactly right. I mean, one of the things that I like to do is, I'll book 
an expensive holiday for a few months time, yeah. you know, and then I'll say to myself, well, what's going to pay for this holiday? Yeah. You selling. And that just has that, that, that motivate. It's that motivating little push that you need to say, you know, all right, well, you're going to spend, you're going to spend the money. You got to do the, you got to do the work at the end of the day. And I think you're right. Like it's hard to identify whether that is something that's just in you or if yeah. that's something that can kind of come over time or can be taught. Um, but I believe there's a, that there's a mix of both in that. I think you have to have elements that you're born with and then I think when you take the tort and you mesh that together, that's when you you, you get a really you know special salesperson. No, absolutely. It's um it's funny you say that actually. Tara was talking about buying a dog when she first joined, and um, she had only been with the business, and COVID price dogs were through the roof. <laughs> Buy the dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true when you. When you work back from that, the right motivators, you just make it happen. 100%, 100%. I want to talk to you a little bit about your kind of, your your leadership style and your your team culture. I know having done, you know, a leadership course with you and and speaking through these things, you know, a little bit in in, in detail, you have a very particular style of leadership. I think it's another thing that I resonate with you on. I think we have a similar style from what, from the conversations that we've had. And I also know that, you know, you've got a great culture in your team. Obviously people are staying, you know, people are enjoying themselves. People are doing well. Give me your take on, on leadership and how you operate as a leader. Um, I try to, so I want everyone in the business to have as much opportunity as possible. We're not a huge business, so that's always going to be limited. But um, I think first of all, giving complete trust to the people who report into you. So it's not something I always had from leadership previously, um, but being able to say to people, you make a decision on this, and I really mean it, you you make a decision on this. So you grow your team in your liking that will suit. um, Obviously, there's parameters within the business that we need to have, but, um, but I want people to feel empowered and you know, what we touched on earlier to not lose those people for, um, for longer, um, as they say with the business longer, like true empowerment people know whether they're getting that or not, you know, cause I think there's a lot of pseudo that and they go, but actually we do it like this. Um, so yes, we've got a brand. Yes, we've got a direction that we're going, but I want people to go in that direction in, in their own style. And, um, and I prefer my, um, management style with, anyone in the business is probably, and I, I get to do this more now than I would have previously, is probably more as a mentor and a guider and what I would do in your type of situation. Mm-hmm. If I was a recruiter with a year's experience trying to build a brand for myself, this is what I would do. do you know, Will I be with that person counting how many calls or how many meetings or that? Um, I don't um, because that's this is the role that I've been working towards is people in the business who have the guys with that stuff. And in time, they will probably move past that. You know? And it creates, um, I, I want to, I think for the team, the things that they would come to me for is guidance, mentoring, helping open doors. This with the same, um, also like it, it, consultants will often come to me saying, hey, do you think you could get me into this firm? And I go, oh, I know such such a person. I'll pick up the phone and try and get them in front of those people. So I prefer to um, like empower, be a mentor rather than 
like getting into weeds of the day-to-day. Mm, no, 100%. And you spoke a little bit there about, I guess, identifying people for certain businesses. You have brought me two A players. You know, you've brought me Kirsten who, I mean, Kirsten is 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 kind of like the oxygen of, of, of our team. And you've brought me Rihanna who, you know, when I was looking for that role, I'd actually given up. I'd, give, I'd met so many people and nobody fit the bill and I'd given up. I'd had a conversation with Dan and I said, listen, let's just, let's just stick to what we've got. We're not going to find anybody. This market's too hard. And that night, you know, you gave me a call and you said, I've got the perfect person for you. Now that can, you know, most recruiters will say that. Um, but, you know, <laughs> you the second- You get that opportunity once. <laughs> yeah, exa- exactly right. But I mean, the second I met her within five minutes, I knew she was the perfect person and she's been, she's been exceptional as well. So you obviously have a kind of a, a gift and a knack for identifying the right talent and then putting them into the right businesses as well. How do you go about doing that? So that's the thing about our- industry and our area of recruitment it is very fit based like i could send you um 50 people with the same skill set and there's a good chance that none of them will be right for you um a lot of people in our space especially some of the big players they use the business support um recruitment strategy exactly the same as what their it recruitment strategy is which is do a search for that salary on your database in that location see who's available call them if they don't sound like they've got two heads so send them over um and you guys are a bit different because they know you mm-hmm. quite well but have helped a number of people um what I do every time is go down and meet with the person because how every single person, especially in the EAPA space, in how those people utilize their EA will always differ from person to person. So you need to actually get that perfect match to what will make that person tick in terms of clicking with from a personality perspective and um, being the right skill set to complement their skill set. You know, I am a good way to for an executive to know that is um, if if you're looking at hiring an EA, first of all, um, if there's two tasks and both of you can do them, your EA should be doing them. Mm -hmm. So um, if you look at all the tasks that an exec does and you take that amount away, then that's the skill set that you're looking for. And then what we put on top of that is making sure that we get the right match. Um, And generally you'll get something if it's not a quirky um, trait of an exec or whether it's the um their their um working style that will tie in with somebody else um and what our business i think does quite well because we're going for nine years now we we know most of the um people in that space so quite often we'll be able to i meet with somebody and i go okay that person who i had a coffee for with two years ago um and said, if anything like X, Y, or Z ever comes up, give me a call. I'm going to give that person a call first. Do you know, so that's um, trying to scale that from my brain to business growing is always a challenge. <laughs> but um, but everyone who comes into the business tends to uh, um, that that's some of the stuff that we train people on. Um, even more importantly than being able to skill set match. Yeah, you know, as you can imagine, it's different uh, if somebody has to. Um, IT resumes and one fit art an IT resume and an IT job description. If they fit, it's a difficult skill set to find. That's your person. This probably has an extra layer to it. Yeah, it's it's interesting that because it's it's pattern recognition at the end of the day. I mean, I know when you meet 
hundreds or thousands of people eventually like, and, and you're trying to identify them for a certain thing, from my point of view, becoming a cub member, they fall into a certain bracket, you know, or yeah. bucket. And, and it's, it's pretty much never that you meet somebody who doesn't fall into a bucket that you've already seen. Yeah. And so you're then able to kind of put the pieces together in a way that it kind of fits. And so that, that totally yeah. makes sense to me. And quite often bouncing around our offers would be, we need a Rihanna. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, no, to, to, totally get it. Totally get it. How do you go about kind of standing out from the competition? Because recruitment is a very saturated space in, yeah. in, in Sydney. And there's a lot of people who, who are, I guess, yeah, you know, fighting for the same candidates, fighting for the same clients, and so on and so forth. You've always struck me as somebody who who operates the business a little bit differently to the way that everybody else does. How do you go about that? How do you go about standing out from every, what everybody else is doing? So I think um, it's very easy to tell a client what your unique selling point is and all of those wonderful things. Um, but generally, somebody works with you and they get a different feel for how you work. You know, um, being um, being able to have those real honest, open conversations where our aim as a team is always to um, be like an extra leg of somebody's HR team. So when they come to us, they might be in a pretty tricky situation. Oh, such a person's resigned, that's going to be disastrous for us. Oh, but I get to work with Jen, you know, or I get to work with Tara or whoever it is. Um, business support as a whole can sometimes be looked at as junior recruitment or baby recruitment and what you'll have is in maybe some of the bigger agencies somebody starts there they get two years and then they move into a different area of the business what we try to do is have people in the business who love that area of recruitment and um, and they do it because they're passionate about it and want a career in it so generally when they come to us they'll be dealing with somebody who has some more years under their belt who knows the industry properly and who's able to speak to them on a level um by doing that, um, then our referral rates go through the roof and you know it just um, ripples out like that. Um, but treating, I guess, business support like a true profession is, um, is something that's kind of stood well for us. So, I mean, you, you mentioned you've been operating now for nine years. You know, you've overcome a, a lot in that time. You've come to a point now where the business is successful. Um, I know, you know, whenever I hear of somebody looking for, you know, support, you're the first name that comes to mind. We've had a positive experience working with you time after time. The business is in a good place. What's next for you? What does the future of the business look like for you? Um, so what's next is, look, from from a personal perspective, I um, I always want to be growing. Like I, I never want to be doing the same job in three years as I'm doing now or three years ago. It's something that I say in the business as well for everyone in the business. Um, what that looks like right now is we've got a really, really solid um, team in Sydney um, and a really solid reputation. Um, we have just opened a HR part of the business, which um, Michael Adams, who's been with me for four and a half years, is going to be leading that. So that's going to be a big project over the next um, 12 months or so until that starts to gain its own feed. Um and um, and then to mimic that in what ten, so Tanya's in Melbourne, um, and she's um, we want to really replicate our reputation in um, Melbourne, the same as what we've done in Sydney, and then Jen in Brisbane as well. So 
it, we've we've got a really good template for what we've done in Sydney. Are we there yet with being at the same level in Melbourne and Brisbane? No, and that'll be the project for now. Well, amazing to hear, and, and obviously, you know, I'm looking forward to to seeing that progress, and 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 obviously continuing, you know, to have you around in the community of Carbon, and hopefully, we can continue be a, to be a part of of your journey going forward. Um, Martin, I've, re I've really enjoyed that conversation. I think we touched on a lot of stuff that you know people can take a lot from. And to all our listeners, if you want to hear a little bit more about Martin, uh, please visit cub.club/podcast. You'll find his LinkedIn, you'll find his website, his favorite book, his favorite quote, and, and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, Martin, thanks so much for coming today. Thanks, Kevin. Great to be there.